Hey, this is Andy C. Hey, it's Future Bound here. Hey, this is Katie from Coven. It is me, Mosey, everyone's favourite dad of DMB. Hey, this is Wilkinson. Hey, this is Nets Guy. Hey, it's Boo. Yo, this is Bensley. Hey, guys, it's Formula. Hey, it's Andromedic. This is the Full Noise Podcast with Mike Nicholas. My name is Mike Nicholas. It is great to be back with another brand new episode amongst the craziness of the world right now. Uh, wherever you are right now, whether you are in isolation, uh, lockdown, quarantining, whatever you're calling it, um, I really hope that this episode can bring you a little bit of joy, a little bit of light in the darkness right now uh, and lift your spirits just a little bit. The guest on this episode is probably one of the biggest artists I have interviewed to date. He is number 10 on the top 100 DJs according to DJ Mag. He has collaborated with some of the biggest artists in the world and he is the highest grossing dance artist in North America from tours. Plus, he is the only man I would let throw a cake in my face. Steve Aoki, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Wrong. I'm great. <laughs> um, this great. is so cool. Um, it's very 2020 of us to be chatting through um, Zoom, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, this, is, this is the new norm, you know, like just Zoom calls, interviews. Uh, it's, it's very, very normal now. I, I, I'm constantly on Zoom. I'm constantly talking to people this way. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I'd never heard of Zoom before this. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> it, it's a, uh, it, I mean, I, now I'm hearing like, because everyone's using it. Everyone's like, oh yeah, but it gets hacked. It gets all kinds of weird, like someone might just jump into our Zoom and like, yeah. Show us a dick pic or something. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. Um, now, I assume you're currently um, quarantining or um, social distancing over there. I know things are a little bit different in America right now, but um, uh, you're obviously doing similar to what we're doing. Yes, yes. How has quarantine looked for you? Uh, I, I mean, honestly, the way I found my, my rhythm in all this is by keeping busy, having um, a planned agenda from the day before. So... And, and I recommend this to everyone. Like, you know, it's easy to, you know, wake up whenever you need to wake up mm. and, and like put on the TV, eat something and just watch Netflix till the sun goes down and boom, the day's gone. Mm. And you're like, well, that was it. You know, <laughs> um, I, it's really easy to do that. Um, so how I kind of avoid that is, is having a plan set up. So you, for the night before you kind of have, you sit down with yourself and you go over your schedule of what you need to do and all the things that you want to do too, because this is the time to do all the things that you want to do. Yeah, exactly right. That, that your that your like job would stop you from doing, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever that requires the majority of your time pre COVID um, stopped you from doing. So um, I'm just like, you know, crafting again, like with, with certain things, I'm getting better at playing chess. I'm um, working out on the regular, um, you know, to a certain extent, I'm, I'm taking like more self-care uh, routines into my life, like breath work and meditation, uh, which I'm really happy about. Um, and I haven't seen like parts of my house that, 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 that existed, you know, before, <laughs> like I just never spent this much time in my house. So um, I just try to like be product- productive and, and proactive, you know, with every day. And yeah. now my days are very, very scheduled and, and I, I prefer that. I like order. I like having discipline and order. Yeah. So you're very much um, taking the positive out of um, a pretty tough situation. Yeah. I think a lot of people can do the same thing because there's a lot of things that you can do just to keep your mind occupied. Mm. And then you don't think about like occupying your mind because you're learning something that you want to learn. 
Um, you could even like compartmentalize it because I like to have everything so organized. I have like my self-care, like I have my main category, self-care, uh, education, creation. Yeah. And, you know, and then like whatever else, like, you know, like connecting with family and things like that. But um, I, I just make sure I'm like clicking those boxes down. Yeah, totally, hundred percent. No, it's a really cool way of looking at it. Now, um, obviously, you've just released uh, your new album, Neon Future Four. Uh, it sounds amazing, by the way. Um, I've been listening to it on repeat for for the last week or so. Um, <laughs> you must be really, really proud of it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely the biggest undertaking for me. It's my fourth album, um, and in the fourth album, it's it's very much the biggest album. Like mm. most albums that I've done, have like resulted at fourteen. Mm. 14 songs this is 27. Um, and uh, I released a ton last year, at least 12 last year and tw- like 10 or 10 to 12 um, last year and uh, uh, leading up to the album. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then 15 that, that were brand new. So um, yeah, it's like, uh, I'm not sure if this is the, the final stage of neon future because kind of make that decision at the end of album creation, mm-hmm. but I'm already, uh finished with my next project that that will be dropping in the summer okay is this the is this a steve aoki one or is this a uh, new alias which we've heard a little bit about <laughs> the new alias is is still developing i already finished three songs with the new alias okay i'm already working on the fourth i was working on that um this week um but no no there's a steve aoki project that's going to be dropping this summer as well completely different from neon future yeah okay this, this is uh it's, it's uh, essentially it's about it's, it's like festival bangers, which is the summertime is when I drop more of my festival records, you know, yeah. my records that like work at my shows. And now the summer's gone. So <laughs> it kind of defeats the purpose, but I need to release these songs too. So. I, I feel like people people will appreciate them maybe even more now that, you know, we're not at festivals and maybe they can have that festival five at home. <laughs> yeah, that's my hope. <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers that like, because like these songs are, are bangers. They're mm. fun. They're yeah. like, made to like give you energy to jump around and have like go crazy and wild, you know, yeah. like um, it's less about the, like the, the singer or the, like there's like some of them don't have a vocalist. It's, mm. like, it's me doing the vocal, you know, yep. or whatever. Yep. It's more about like just the drop to be like zany and crazy and wild. Mm-hmm. Um, the world needs that right now. Um, now, I was going to say about your album, um, this is obviously a compliment, but I was going to say about how it is quite a chunky album, 27 tracks, like you don't, often see uh, an album of that size these days and I really like that um, and I really like the wide range of um, sounds across the EDM spectrum as well which is really cool uh, and I love that you've teamed up with some huge names on there like Sting and the Backstreet Boys alone obviously um, two of probably the biggest names in music world um, yeah. that I mean that's huge in itself isn't it really <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no I, I it's uh, I don't set a bar as far as who I reach out to. Mm-hmm. And and I also try to think about um, throwing curveballs and reaching out to people and artists that, that like haven't worked in my space. You know, mm-hmm. I, I always want to like think about like, what can I can, what, what can I bring to the table that no one's heard yet? You know, like, can I do something different? Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes the obvious is the most clear answer, but sometimes doing something off you know, off the grid and doing something exciting and touching and emotionally touching, like, 
you know, like the song I did with Louis Tomlinson, that was a curveball mm. for both of our camps at the time. And it's, it's like a massive emotionally touching song, you know, for my catalog, you know, and I'm really proud of that. So I love doing that, like working with, especially working with, with artists that understand melody and, and get melody in their own way. And, and, um, then it's just it's just a more of a naturally easy process. That's right, and obviously um, EDM is really lending itself across pretty much the whole spectrum of, of music genres nowadays as well. Exactly. Um, now, um, how long does it, it take you to make an album of this size? Um, it, yeah, and there's no like date because mm-hmm. some of these songs, like if I was to really track down the the origins of some of these songs, like one. The song I did with Matthew Coma, um, that vocal is from 2013. Okay. So if you really go back into it, you know, I, I didn't work on it for seven years, but um, it's a song that that stood the test of time. And yeah. that's that's like the, for me, what's really important and it's to have those timeless songs. Mm-hmm. So if I have a melody that I can go back and listen to five years later and it still touches me or still makes me feel a certain way. It's, you know, like the intention is it's, it'll work five years from now, yeah, you know, totally. or five, five, you know, 10 years ago, like my remix for pursuit of happiness is a timeless remix for me, for my catalog. Mm-hmm. I can still drop it at the end of my set in 2020. when I made this song in 2009, you know, like I would not ever think that I would be still playing the song, you know, 11 years later. Yeah. So, like uh, I, I trust that. Like it's like a, almost like a fine wine theory. You know, if you have really a really great product, something that really touches. Because like music, is at the end of the day, it's just a tool to get to people's emotions. And if you have something that can really get to people's emotions in a really, really valuable, intense way, um, it doesn't matter when it was written. It could be written now. It could be written hundred years ago. Yeah, totally. And that means you've you've done it right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, in, as a collection, um, the song, the, these songs date, you know, far past the pre- like previous albums I've released. Um, but that's why it doesn't feel like it took that long because almost each one that I did was a collaborative project, and and uh, some collaborations are really quick, and some collaborations, you know, are fast. So. Uh, or, or, or slow and uh, or take a long time, um, but I, it's it's like when I boil it down, it's you know Neon Future Three just came out two years before, mm. but I was working on songs for four while I was working on three. Yeah, that's right. So it's like an ongoing cycle. I just it's hard to put a date on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I want to take it back a little bit if I can um, about where you sort of started out um, in music originally. Yeah, sure. Uh, so like when I first, are you talking about when I first got into music? Yeah. <laughs> that was, okay. So that was like when I was 15, I was in high school. Um, and I would hang out with these kids. We'd skate and, and listen to hardcore punk music. Um, and, um, when we go see these bands that would play, they were like our age or kids our age, or they're like, you know, the barrier of entry when I saw these, these kids playing was like, Hey, I could do this too. Mm. Like it wasn't like watching, you know, Yngwie Malmsteen, Yngwie Malmsteen rip on a guitar. And you're like, there's no way I'll be that good of a guitarist. But when you hear someone screaming his head off or her head off on stage and like, Hey, I could do that too. I, you know, mm. it's, um, it, 
gives you this kind of like I could do anything, mm. you know, that feeling if I could do anything. And that culture was a big part of how I was able to, to, you know, jump from one genre to the next is that it's a, it's a mentality. It's a mindset. Mm. It's entirely a mindset. It has nothing to do with talent. It's entirely about mindset. And talent is something that is an acquired, it's an acquired state of mind. Mm. Talent is an acquired thing. You need, you, you like it's very rare for someone to like just pick things uh, certain things up and certain people can pick things up faster than others that's all right so like for me someone like me is that i don't find myself talented in in the ways that i see some of my friends just pick things up so quickly mm-hmm. so for me i need to put in all the extra work so when i was with my friends like at that age when i was 15 i mean we we felt like we can like do the bands and like whatever band that we did at that time was, was all God awful. I mean, the music that was coming out was awful. I was singing. <laughs> it was awful. I, we recorded demos. I played guitar on the demo. It was awful. But the whole point is get it out there, you know, do the process. And then as you hear it and you get critiques and criticism from your friends, you're just going to get better. I mean, that's the idea. You, you train the failure is how you learn, right? Mm-hmm. You, only, you can't learn if you're succeeding. You only learn if you fail. That's right. That way you know what to do like differently, mm-hmm. especially if you love what you're doing. Like failure, failure is really important in, in order to succeed. And if you don't love what you're doing, you're just going to exit the whole thing yeah. and then try something else. Yeah. So, I mean, I love the idea of us getting together, playing music, and, and I, learned every, I learned how to play guitar. I learned how to play bass. And, and by the time I was in college, I was in like four or five different bands and I was playing guitar in one band. I was singing in one band. I was playing bass in another band. And, um, and I love playing music. And, you know, during that time, I mean, the, 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 the majority of my shows were, were living rooms, um, basements, illegal warehouses, um, generator generators that are like powering our equipment, mm-hmm. you know, um, any space that would give us space to play in front of 10 to 30 people. And I loved it and yeah. I would do it again. And we, and if we even got paid, we get paid like 20, 20 to 40 bucks. So, um, and I toured across the U S with that kind of style. So I, I loved playing music. I loved being in bands. I love that kind of kinship and I love the idea of creating songs and making songs and seeing that one person sing along to it, um, in, in like some, some town that you've never been in. And, uh, you know, Fast forward, I'm still in college, by the way. I haven't even started DJing. I haven't listened to any electronic music. Mm-hmm. So I'm a late bloomer when it comes to, to electronic music, yep. not even considering what EDM is all about. Mm-hmm. This is way before the term EDM even existed. Um, and, uh, and then I was in LA, moved to LA, speed things up, because otherwise it's going to take a long time, this interview. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, uh, I continue with my label. This is the problem with this question. It just, I can just keep going. Uh, I, I continue with my record label mm-hmm. um, that I started in college, mm-hmm. putting out a lot of these smaller bands. And, um, and I found some bands that, that really, really blew up, like Block Party, um, The Kills, and some of these other rock bands. And we would have small dim Mac parties in LA. And, you know, and the way things happen in LA is that like, you don't, you don't play if you're throwing a party, you play, you don't, you don't play music, you, you DJ. So in mm. these little rooms, you would DJ, mm. but the kills would come and listen and they would play some records by the velvet underground and captain Beefheart 
and now I play songs from LCD Sound System and, and Biggie Smalls. You know, like it just we were just all hanging out. Yeah. But I love playing records. I loved hosting parties, and that's the start of Steve Aoki that people know back in 03, you know, 03, 04. So that's the whole, that's another answer to another question that I don't want to get into. It's a long one. <laughs> that's all right. Um, I was actually going to talk a little bit about Dim Mac. Um, I mean, our very own Quicks, um, a Kiwi is obviously on the label as well, which is super exciting for us. Um, and obviously for him as well. Um, but you, it's a, it's a great success story, Dim Mac, because I mean, you were, you were once in debt, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, big time. Yeah. So, um, to give you a little history of Denmark, we've been around since 1996. Mm -hmm. Um, we put out over a thousand releases on the label. Um, many of which, well, many of which like they're all digital now. There's a few vinyl that we do, but like all up until 2006 when iTunes existed, when iTunes started, uh, not existed when it was formed, we're is entirely physical. It's all mm -hmm. vinyl and CDs. Yeah. Um, which is such a, you know, strange topic to a lot of people now, you know, they probably have no idea, like the idea to like not listen to music through uh, streaming service or, you know, download it on your computer. Yeah. Um, but that's how most music was. You had to physically buy it to, mm. to know about it. Um, and uh, that was that era, the 2006 when, when iTunes came around. And I'd say it was a large part because of that too, but it was also a large part during that time. The reason why I was dead is a large part because I was not a businessman. Mm. I was not a, I was not a, um, a businessman that really understood the business I was doing. I knew passion. Yeah. I was passionate. I was excited. I put all my heart, my soul into it. I didn't care to, me personally make any money off of the, the label. Mm. I just wanted to be a self-sustaining label, but, but I didn't understand how to manage that money. Mm. You know, um, when, when an artist needs help, I like did whatever I could to help the artist, no matter if it was drying up the funds on everything else. I'm like, I'm like obsessed with you. I'll do whatever I can to help you, you know, <laughs> spoiling you, whatever I can. And then I'm realizing all the money is coming in. It's gone. Mm. You know, so I didn't have, the expertise to understand the business sense. And, and, and I learned the hard way. I like learned by like, you know, overextending and, and, and capping out all my credit limits, 10 different credit cards at the time. And I had huge, huge acts. I mean, we had a block party. We just we did the deal with vice Atlantic for silent alarm. The thing sold 350,000 physical albums in America. It was the block party was a huge British, uh, you know, success story for, for you know the growing sound of indie rock in America, um, and and we had so many, we had access to so many different artists and putting out so many different great bands, and and we, we were on the come up. I mean, everyone thought that we were, by all perception, we were we were, you know, we were a successful indie label. Right. But yeah, we were completely underwater mm. financially. So, um, and at one point, I was like, it's so fucking sad, but I might have to close doors on this thing because mm. I, I cannot figure out how to pay. I have no idea. There's no way for me to, to actually pay off all the debt. So um, thank God for the DJing, the, like, you know, me just playing for a hundred dollars in these clubs. Mm. I just made a major effort in that. And I'm like, holy shit, this is how I'm making money. Because the other thing too, is when you have, um, I don't want to get into too much detail here because yep. I can, but like when you have a label deal, most label deals are done with um, where you get quarterly checks, which is how we survived. So 
uh, we would get a big lump sum check for our, all our, our quarterly sales. And then I'd have to pay off what I had, who would have to pay off the publicist to, you know, the production houses, whatever, whatever I had to pay. Um, uh, and then it would dry up mm. and I'm like, but we still have, we have the credit card bills to pay all this other stuff to pay. And, um, and then I would be sitting with like no income for, for, you know, God knows how long. So the DJing was like, well, shit, I need to fucking DJ more. So then I ended up playing like four more shows. So what happened was I was doing four shows a week. What happened was I was building the Denmark culture in a super fast way. I'm like, okay, we're going to Denmark party here, here, here. And then I was just on like a, you know, I was on a mission to like, make money to pay off these bills. But at the same time I was developing a culture, uh, that in a, in a time when, when like we, we really had, we really had it in our hands. Mm. We really had that indie electro culture happening and brewing in LA. We were, we were the cornerstone of the culture for Los Angeles. And, and you know, it's crazy, but like we, we didn't know it at the time, but LA is one of the most important places for music altogether it's just one literally one of the most important places uh for artists to grow um uh all labels all management all all you know bands whatever they all needed to come to la to blow up yeah it was a place to blow up and so at that point once we started growing the culture and, and i was djing all these parties um then these young artists that were about to blow were like hitting us up and and you know we we, we had we were doing their first shows like lady gaga and you know later on kesha and and MIA and Santi Gold and Skrillex and, you know, LMFAO and, you know, and the bigger artists were coming there to, to soak in the culture so they can go back to their studios and make hit songs like Black Eyed Peas, Kanye West and so forth. So we're, it was a very interesting time and, and I was having fun doing it and I was making money mm. and I was paying off all my bills. So I, in the next two years, I paid off all my debt. I bought my, you know, first car with myself, my own money, you know, which is a, um, a Prius and, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. And I, and I was like, you know, and then I got better at DJing cause I was DJing so much, mm. you know, I just yeah. got better and I like made more DJ friends and, and then like, you know, befriended DJ AM and he taught me a whole lot about DJing. And, um, and then I started producing music at the same time because I was remixing everything under the sun. And I was like, well, I, you know, like I have, my Rolodex of who I can contact is grown. And there's this one guy that's always coming to my clubs. Um, and he's always there and he's always wiling out and he's bringing LMFAO and he's bringing all these different artists in. Well, I am. So I hit him up. I have like, yo, man, I have a beat and it's fire. Yeah. And he knew me because he's always coming to my parties. He had no idea. It was my first song I've ever done. I didn't tell him either. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and he heard, he's like, this is fire. And like, he's, you know, he's a very like, I love it. I'm going to jump on it now. So he just jumped on the song right then and there. Uh, recorded I'm in the house. And that was my first single in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, he's been on the um, the latest album again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's been on like throughout the years. He's been on Neon Future 1. Yeah. He's been on Neon Future 3, 2, and then now 4. So I always go back to Will. He's been long-time friend of mine yeah i love that um it's one of my favorite success stories i don't want to hold you up too much um but obviously once the the world is normal again um or the new normal whatever that may be um would love to have you back in new zealand by the way i feel like you're well overdue for a um a trip over here i think what 2014 was the last time you were here 
Jeez. <laughs> I, I did play with, I, I played a show with Skrillex yeah. in uh, 2014. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah. We went to, uh, we went to this, the, the guy that he, he owns SendSpace, I think. Or what do you own? Yeah. Uh, he's like a, he, he has a crazy house. I went to his house afterwards. So was, oh, it's not, wow. um, not Kim.com. Kim. Yeah, Kim.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah. I, I mean, he's a bit yeah, of a, he, interesting uh a guy and yeah yeah he, he that was that was pretty well i think i was with sonny too when we went there <laughs> yeah. oh we love that well um yeah rhythm and vines have you ever heard of rhythm and vines that's a festival right yeah yeah i'm yeah, sure they'd uh, love to have you yeah i don't did i play that did i play that in 14 or no that was um our house i think might have been but okay yeah our house yeah that makes sense I <laughs> yeah. Remember that. Yeah. hey um well thank you so much for your time um you're genuinely a really inspirational person and i could talk to you for hours but i don't want to hold you up um thank you so much for your time and um congratulations right, on the new album thank you follow us on the socials just search at full noise